Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday mornings, 7.40 a.m. for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. Good to have you back. Appreciate it. Good health, we hope. Getting back to full strength. You know what they say, Mr. Honline? I'm not sure. When you, by the, by the way, by the way, this is this is really true. Take it from somebody who's broken both elbows. Uh, the doctors will tell you that when you have trauma to your elbow, the only part of your arm that does not hurt is your elbow. The, re- the rest of it kills. So, <laughs> it takes revenge on the rest so, of your arm. So, isn't life funny? I'll tell you. Hasn't God created an interesting world, to say the least? Uh, speaking of health. Uh, we're looking at our friends and colleagues and associates and relatives in Israel, and there's uh, certainly a challenging COVID situation going on right now. Is the Prime Minister getting this under control? Uh, they're certainly working at trying to get things under control. Uh, the problem is that, um, you know, we, there's so little knowledge about this virus, um, even its nature, bacteria, virus, all the, all the debates that are going on, what treatments work, and certainly that there's still no vaccine or, or protocol. So he, he, I mean, they're all boxing in the dark, and, and I think that this is, um, you know, beyond his particular control. Did he lift it too early? Did he lift it the right time? I mean, you know, it's like a Jewish holiday, and just never on time. He gets too early, too late. But, you know, it, it's, it, it's a mysterious disease, and that's why people can't let their guard down. They've got to continue to wear the mask. And even if you have antibodies, you don't know that you're not a carrier. You see people who are now on a second round, or that the antibodies diminish, or the so for themselves, but more so for others that you come in contact with, you know, now know that it lingers in the air much longer than people thought. So it's it's a mysterious disease. We don't know the long-term impact that people have symptoms that show up much later uh, after they supposedly recovered and see that there is long-term damage to different organs or different parts of the body. So it's really the uh, urging people, be careful, don't, don't take chances with it. Uh, any age, by the way, children can get it. Young people are getting it more now than before. And the, you know, the Israelis have, unfortunately, now a real surge. More people died yesterday, and the number of cases is is much greater than in the first round. It is amazing. And, and, and not just that they were rightfully bragging, and I'm not saying that in a derogatory fashion that they had handled it right at the beginning. Uh, they really did. I mean, again, they may have had an easier situation in other parts of the world with, you know, one, one international airport and uh, the ability to lit- literally enforce the lockdown of the country. Uh, it, it is just, but it is amazing. It is amazing that that did not work for the length of time they did it, and they're in that, this situation right now. And by the way, I know I know there's a debate about the, you know, the, the businesses staying open versus, you know, shuls uh, in Israel, you know, having their numbers diminish in terms of what you're allowed to have, 20 people, 30 people, etc. Um, and, and I get that, you know, and, and we could sit and discuss how, you know, authorities in Israel may not care as much about synagogue as they do about businesses. I get that. But th- at the minimum, you do see at least that he, meaning the prime minister, understands the value of trying to keep as many businesses open as possible. And in the long run, I would guess, even even with the fear and the possibility of infection, I would guess that that's, you know, he understands. He is an economic expert, right? Uh, he understands how vital that is for the future of the country. Some of that example I think we could use here in this area of the U.S., frankly. 
Well, I think he's tried to balance uh, those concerns, and I do think he has tried to keep shuls, yeshivas, other things open, institutions open, available to people, services. But at some point, you ha- I mean, when they have to close down a community, like they did this week and several more probably this weekend, um, it's, it's a necessity because it's for the protection of the people themselves. And you know that they have hotels for people still operating for those with the, the virus right. to isolate them, to take them out of the general population. They don't spread. But, I mean, I think that there's generally been sensitivity demonstrated for all the ramifications here, too. I mean, businesses going, uh, uh, people going out of business are not going to come back, and uh, a lot of them, and a lot of them are, are going to suffer, and the unemployment rate, even though there are jobs coming back, but it's still a small proportion, perhaps a third yeah. of what we are back. Um, you know, none of these decisions can be taken lightly, I, I understand, and we have to sometimes takes take chances but not when it comes to human life yeah i hear that um also those who are depending on getting to israel even students who are depending on getting to israel and by the way i i laud those organizations and yeshivot that are working very hard to you know with the israeli government to you know obtain access for students to come during the month of elul and later to israel and of course quarantine etc and go through all the regulations and behave at the yeshiva and seminaries the way they're supposed to health-wise. I, I get all that, and I and I do admire the effort, but it, we are living in such uh, <laughs> in such uncertain times that, that everybody at every age, even those students who are teenagers who think they're going to Israel, need to understand that, that you know, by the, by the next day, things can be completely different. And obviously we're seeing this, you know, very often. So if, if you're making plans, right, not a criticism, just saying if you're making plans, just be aware of the fact that, you know, anything can change at a moment's notice. And that, I mean, I know the number of calls I get, which is minimal compared to what the consulate told me. I think they were getting 700 calls a day from people uh, about, for especially kids wanting to go to school next to your students and yeshivas and the seminaries, um, people who want to travel for the Yom Tovim or have a family and trying to, you know, isolate out the really urgent cases. Uh, but people should be patient. It's, uh, you know, they're working on a limited staff and a limited scale. And then you have to get permission from the Ministry of Health in Israel for everything. And it's, it's, a, very, it's a complicated process now. And a lot of people will be disappointed because I don't, El Al is not flying. And we don't know when other flights will go uh, and how they'll handle the um, people coming in from abroad. I know a group of lone soldiers that just went. And we're waiting for uh, the processing, but I think that they actually got off on time. By the way, one other thing: uh, as we talk about, uh, you know, d- d- uh, as we talk about the regulations and the enforcements, etc., um, uh, we got we have to be very careful as a community, especially the neighborhoods in our community that think they have herd immunity and therefore, you know, the COVID's over. Uh, and and I say it not just because I'm concerned about a, a resurgence in certain neighborhoods and communities, but on top of that, um, as you see from the mayor of Uman, uh, the mayor not enthusiastic about welcoming people, Rosh Hashanah, to that area of the world in the Ukraine. Um, I, I can only imagine in certain areas where, uh, you know, public sukkahs are put up. I know we're already thinking of these holidays. Public sukkahs are put up. People are going to be wary of you know allowing those to be built because of the gatherings that go on inside, um, and on top of that, you know, just Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, it's not just an issue of how many people are we allowed and can we hold services. It's also how is it going to look if we pack our 
synagogues during those services, uh, during those uh, holidays, if in fact, you know, things are basically the way they are uh, right now when we get to the month of Tishrei. So I think we have a lot to be concerned about, not just about how we are behaving worldwide when it comes to the pandemic, but also how others are going to view us when we go through all these things. It's all true, absolutely. And uh, I think for many people, many schools, I'm not sure they're going to open in Britain. They already announced that schools won't open for uh, Rosh Hashanah, and people are creating alternative um, options, which I know is even happening in my own neighborhood where people are talking about uh, these options. Wow. Uh, it's it's um, yeah it's, it's very dis, uh, disorienting and as we're all disoriented as it is. I tell people yeah. I know I make Abdallah and then I make in Kiddush and right. something happens in between, but I'm not sure what. And the um, you know this is uh, for many people this is it's it's a very difficult and stressful time, especially with the children with the camps, which I think is very unfortunate. But again, you see that there are cases where camps have to close or. Yeah. Um, Although the majority took the right precautions and seemed to be handling it well, well. I think all of them took the right precautions. Some got lucky and some haven't, but I think yeah. all of them took the right precautions. And one of the prices is that people are not paying attention to the issues, you know, that we would normally discuss and that would take precedence. Oh, I mean, there is so much we, on Iran, there's we, so much on Turkey, there's so much on... We will get to those issues. No, I know, I'm not talking about you, I'm saying in general that oh, people yeah. are not focused and, uh, and not really interested because this is... Uh, Maybe they're on overkill with Zooms already and, and things like that. But it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, over, <laughs> overkill with everything that's allowed at this point. Um, you saw what happened to the baking baking industry. <laughs> All of a sudden, they went from a uh, from, from no chocolate available to a surplus of chocolate because people got sick sick of baking. Even, <laughs> even that they got sick of. One note that a rabbi said to me yesterday, at least if there's outdoor chauffeur blowings, going on at least it's only one day we got that break this year that uh, we only have one day of takia show for everybody thinking of every detail of what's an advantage now during covid you mentioned alal is it really possible that a private person or family is going to come in and save them and literally purchase the airline well it's happened before and um it's possible but you know the the, the economics are are very severe right now there and it'll need government assistance. It's already getting government assistance, even for their internal flights, the flights to a lot, for instance, which is a lifeline for travel, tourism, other for the internal tourism, which is still going on, and it's keeping some of the hotels open. At least they can keep the skeletal stamps. But uh, most hotels, you know, obviously have great vacancies. Uh, so you need LL for those domestic flights. You need LL. A country needs a national airline. Uh, it's it has symbolic beyond the economic and all the other ramifications. So I think that then they'll have to find some answer. Uh, if they can get a bargain, I think on on LL right now. Yeah. <laughs> and you get a lot of Matbid points if you buy it. Well, <laughs> the way Matbid works, I'm not so sure you should make that commitment publicly, Malcolm. But but the the, the likelihood is the likelihood right. is that the upgrades will be available for someone in that position. Right. <laughs> all right, we'll get to Iran and everything else, which is of course uh, probably the biggest news item of the week of all the things you alluded to. But just start for a moment. I know I drive you crazy each week on the annexation thing, but I think the Jerusalem Post is right that all of a sudden July 1st showed up and annexation hasn't, you know, we haven't even heard the word in the last 10 days. Is there an update on that you can give us? Yes, if you remember in all our discussions, I kept saying that July 1st is a target, is not a deadline, and that 
the likelihood is that you'll have some sort of a phased approach that, um, you know, a lot depends on, on the climate and where the U.S. stands and where, you know, the other Arab countries that Israel is developing relationships with. It's a very complicated and multifaceted issue. It's not simply the question of making an announcement that you're applying sovereignty to, to an area. It might be true, let's say, in the, in the Jordan Valley, but the, in, the, in the other ramifications, you see that the mapping process, which has been going on for so long, that has not been completed. So every road and every connection and everything has to be decided and discussed, and you need to have a unified government, and you need to do this all in concert with the U.S., which says, but we will agree to all this, but it has to be part of a, of a plan which includes a commitment to, to a Palestinian state, which a lot of people also object to. So you have objections on the left, you have the objections on the right, and given the, the COVID uh, issue right now, I think it takes precedence. Um, and having this breathing time and time to decide what to do is important. But if you, uh, if, but it, but if Israeli authorities feel that this has to be done with President Trump in office, mm-hmm. I mean, I know he's minimum in office till mid-January. I get that, but you know, time is running out, sort of. No, but after if if he's not going to be reelected, then then the sort of deadlines you don't do things the last. Weeks, although President Obama, if you remember, did it at the UN right. in the last month. But um, yeah, it could move ahead. But people do feel the pressure of those deadlines, and also that time. The more the time passes, that you have to create a reality, and it doesn't have to be actually an anti-peace option. It could be promotion. If, if in fact, the Palestinians now are reaching out and are, you know, seeing the realities, at least some of them. Uh, that this time is continuously moving against them. They see that the Arab countries are no longer interested in advocating for it. And, you know, at best they find it a nuisance, um, which is what Arab leaders actually say to us. Uh, then maybe a reality will, will set in that will produce a positive result. Uh, in Iran, uh, nuclear facilities, standard weapons facilities, IRGC facilities, uh, not only are they open targets over the last two, three weeks, but uh, it seems that they've been very easy open targets. Can you update us on that, please? Uh, yeah, we still don't know the full story, but uh, there was another explosion yesterday. Now, we know in one case, uh, a group um, called a domestic terrorist group or opposition group in, in Iran notified the BBC uh, 20 or 30 minutes before the Natanz bombing that they, they were going to attack it. So that seems to be somewhat uh, a possible, I think, called the uh, Homeland Panthers or something uh, like that. Yeah. And the um, now there are all sorts of theories. One is that these this is cyber attack and that they were able to get into the, like Stuxnet, this is, they call it the son of Stuxnet, <laughs> uh, but we don't know that for sure. The second is that there were reports and even a very high ranking person said to me yesterday that there were planes involved and yet others say that, that, that that's not true uh, there could be it's probably a combination of, of different things that that was involved but it's it was they weren't able to deny because everybody saw the ball of fire at the facilities that in Parchin but the more important one is the one at Natanz where they clearly destroyed the assembly hall for the more advanced centrifuges and this is a big setback for them in their nuclear program. And obviously, somebody know, knew what 
that there were developments or breakthroughs in this and the, the development of these more advanced centrifuges means that they can move much more quickly to having enough rich uranium to build a bomb. And you notice there's no world outcry. <laughs> you don't hear reaction because everybody, you know, gets it that Iran is violating the agreements. There was a fascinating report and, um, that came out of the United Nations, of all places, um, which, you know, always gives a buy to anything that, that Iran does. And yet they came out with such um, a strong report, and uh, Guterres's name was on the report itself, and it, it detailed all the violations, and, and uh, really a significant statement, and especially, as I said, with the imprimatur of the Security Council, it, it's actually the implementation report on the Security Council Resolution 2231, and they but they, they uh, talk about the violations in terms of the nuclear program, their violations in terms of uh, their activities in the region and their support for terrorist organizations and providing arms. And this comes in the midst of the debate that's going on now about extending the arms embargo, which is really critical. And unfortunately, China and Russia are trying to block it. The U.S. and Secretary Pompeo has done a great job trying to advocate for it. European uh, countries are in it or not? So the European countries want to see an extension. They're talking about a three-month extension, mm -hmm. uh, some of them. Uh, but even those who, who may not have been so assertive in, in regard to Iran uh, and previously are more because they see the violations. You can't deny the IAA says they're not letting us into the sites. We're not able to, to visit the, the locations, the, the inspections. And uh, I think the, um, you know, the general and the evidence that they provided that the weapons that were used in the attack on Saudi Arabia and the more recent attacks are, in fact, uh, tied to, to Iran. All of this in a U.N. report. So it's, it's hard to, to deny the significance or to, to avoid it. And I think there's a general understanding, but we, we, we've seen them. By the way, a court in the United States just awarded the $879 million to the victims, the families, the victims at Hobart Towers in Saudi Arabia, which they blamed on Iran. Uh, Iran doesn't pay, but it means that they can seize assets and stuff if they can find any. But the, one of the things about the attacks is that people say, well, they hit power plants. But it may be that they hit power, power plants to knock out the electricity to the real targets that they hit. Right. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and, the, and you saw also the United States seized weapons that were going to the Houthis and there were explosive-laden boats that were in the Gulf that was, uh, are tied to Iran. And so, you know, there's so many manifestations and things that we can't go into everything because Iran is so complicated. But um, uh, let's go to a, let's go to a couple of questions that the casual observer like me is curious about. First off, I mean, I mean, every time this happens or anything similar to this, I get it that it's not exactly, uh, you know, the, the way the uh, Syrian attacks, for instance, happen. Uh, we, we always think it's Israel, or or we'll toss out the idea Israel with the permission of America. The way you're describing it, it's not necessarily so in this case. It really is. It, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a mystery. I have a feeling you know more than you're telling us. But it but it is possible that there are other elements or other uh, or other countries, other governments uh, that might have been able to pull this off aside from Israel at this point. I don't know that other governments that could be, there, are, there is a lot of domestic opposition, and there are groups that are coming out and saying things. Uh, as I said, that credible evidence about Natanz, um, 
certainly makes you rethink uh, who, who could be responsible. Uh, the question whether there were uh, airplanes involved. Remember, Iran is not going to acknowledge this because it demonstrates that they have no air defense system. Right? If you if you can get planes to, to fly over Tehran and elsewhere, and you know that Israel did it before. If Israel and, was and, involved, would they acknowledge it? Uh, no. And you don't want it to acknowledge it because you, you don't want to force Iran to, to then have to publicly yeah. respond. They're threatening to respond, but so far, but even see, with the attacks in Syria, they're not. And, and if you notice, one thing, the very clever remark by um, some Iranian officials saying, don't create narratives about this directed at Israel, meaning don't boast about this. Don't force us to do stuff. If you keep, if you make claims that you did it and, you know, these things always leak from Israel, right. uh, at least I interpreted that as, uh, as a message to Israel. Don't, don't force us, uh, you know, to, to respond. But it does show the weakness of, of uh, their system. You know, they're now, Iran is trying to improve or committed to improve the Syrian air defense systems in a new deal that they signed between the two countries, a military defense deal, and the goal was to get rid of all the foreign forces by which they identify not just Israel, but also Turkey, Russia, others. And the, the um, and they're offering to build up the air defense system when clearly they've not been able to be effective neither in Syria nor in, um, in Iran itself. So <laughs> well, this, has a, this is a very embarrassing they're trying to uh, sell, development. They're trying to sell the air defense system? Pardon me? They're trying to sell it? Yes, they're going to, to sell them. They have Remember, they have these missile programs, and they are de- uh, developing their own missiles, but nobody seems to think that right. this, is, this is going to be a so, game changer. So if I've read between the lines properly, right, using that um, uh, premise, that I've read between the lines properly, um, why would why would Israel or whoever is responsible for this not have done this long ago? If it is if it is that easy, to, is intelligence that different now? Is the ease with which they could pull this off that different now? That they couldn't have done this or similar attacks? And you see, they've spread them out. It's not like it's one attack and they know they can't get away with more. They've done this over a period of three weeks already. Why would this have not happened a year ago or two years ago? What what is now happening in Iran or what stage are they at? Uh, in their development of these weapons, that, that this is the period of time chosen to do this. So, number one, intelligence is a critical factor in this, absolutely. Number two, they, they, um, they, want, they have to reach a certain point where it justifies it, meaning that you don't attack too prematurely because then they can rebuild, and they're certainly going to build it more, uh, more securely than they did before. And um, and also, timing is very important. So if domestic groups were involved, they had to do it when they could. If it's other elements involved, they have to make an assessment. And there's clearly some sense that Iran was crossing thresholds. Uh, and Israel has always said, we're not going to allow them to become a nuclear power. So... You know, there is a lot of cheshbonos, there are a lot of accounts that have to be a box that checked off if you are going to um, take undertake this kind of, of, of action. So the message to us basically is that Iran was much further along than anyone wanted them to be at this point. That's absolutely true, and we know that they are enriching way beyond, and they announce it, that they're enriching 
beyond the limits that they were supposed to under JCPOA, and then they're telling us that they're going to advance it, and they're, and they're being more aggressive and everything. But for Israel, the critical issue is the nuclear program and the missile uh, program. So one of the sites that was hit was related to uh, missile production, uh, but you know they, they, they said that a shed was destroyed and showed pictures, but once you have satellites operative, and these are commercial satellites, so it's not a political agenda on the part of some country, but a political uh, showing, so it's no political objective in, in uh, making the revelation. These are commercial satellites that show how deep the destruction was. So it wasn't the surface uh, facilities, and often there were secondary um, targets. It is. Um, I'll tell you. It is. Uh, it's promising to know that the that those who care who care about Iran not being uh, equipped with nuclear uh, weapons or or full nuclear weapon capability uh, are able to infiltrate in this way. It's. It's. You know. It, it, you could sleep a drop better at night knowing that that there's the capability of taking them out in this manner. That's true, but I would be much more excited if, in fact, there is the infrastructure developing inside the country of people who want to bring about regime change, who are uh, willing to take the risk to stop the nuclear program, who recognize why this is a danger. Is it developing? Well, if, if, if this is a domestic group that carried out that attack... You'd have to assume, you, right? Then you assume, yes, but I, mean, I, 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 I know we do keep... A relationship with with some of the dissident groups, and uh, yes, there is growing uh, organization and growing frustration. But look at the economy; they, they locked four zeros off the, off their uh, the real. They changed it now to the Toman, which is like an exchange rate of ten to one. But people, all their savings are wiped out, and the they're still selling. Uh, for instance, they just signed a deal with Turkey to sell uh, natural gas, but their oil exports are about it. 10% of what they were this time last year. The the currency has fallen again. It's it's almost worthless and they are they are desperate for for money um, and that's why the sanctions that you really don't read about really are so effective and and impactful not just when they are announced but in the longer run and countries are afraid to engage in that kind of um, in, in a violation that will cut them off from access to American bank or banking systems. I did see a video this week of Iranian students refusing to step on the American flag. That is true, and you and you know that there are other things that are not necessarily reported outside, and hopefully the shakeup of the VOA, Voice of America, and other broadcasts will will give us greater uh, access into the country and out of the country. Um, but the, the, yes, the, I think many of the people, the young people in Iran. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of young people in America don't don't appreciate the, all the gifts and, and well, uh, the wanna, wonders of America. I want to bring those Iranian students here to lecture on the college campuses about not stepping on the American flag. Not, right. not a bad idea, right? Right. And you know, by the way, another source of tension, and it's just emblematic of the the failure to, to, to give uh, attention to, to a lot of the stuff that, that is going on, is that the, uh, the in Iraq... There's growing opposition. They're trying to throw out the, the Iranians. This week there were some setbacks because the pro-Iranian militias got the release of 14 terrorists that the Prime Minister of Iraq had said they wouldn't uh, release. They were responsible for the attacks on the U.S. military bases. And um, uh, and as soon as they got out, they went out and they celebrated. They, they trampled on pictures of the, the, the Prime Minister and set fire to Israeli and U.S. flags there. Um, but the 
but the support for the proxies in Iraq has been way set back because of the financial situation in Iran, but also because of the virus. And I know that a number of the units have had very heavy uh, casualties, and they started reducing the payments to these militia groups, which are very critical to their uh, goals of expanding Iraq, and Iraq being critical to the control of the Shiite Crescent through Syria and Lebanon. Yeah, well, a um, couple of things on this side of the world, if I could ask you. The... the uh a House panel chaired by retiring Representative Nita Lowy advanced bipartisan legislation Monday that would establish international fund to facilitate joint economic ventures and promote people-to-people dialogue between Israelis and Palestinians. What do you know about this? I know that uh, Nita Lowy chairs a committee which put forward this. <laughs> this uh, it, it, there are a lot of groups that engage in um, Palestinian-Israeli dialogue and have been lobbying for this for a long time, and uh, it could be positive because if you build up the economy, there will be less tendency towards terrorism and maybe more awakening to the realities that the the um, that whatever suffering is there is because of their government, and the Palestinian Authority, and its failure to to address the issues. In fact, they're doing nothing in in a lot of regards, especially now that the disease has spread to the to the West Bank. Well, I agree with you. It's a good idea. I just feel bad that a quarter of a billion dollars has to come out of uh, U.S. taxpayers' uh, pocketbooks. That's the only thing that. Well, we'll see yet what the final uh, what the final deal will be. But uh, this is meant to be an incentive because the U.S. U.S. has supported all along uh, programs of this kind. Yeah, like I said, you know. $50 Fifty million a year for five years, though, is a pretty steep price. Uh, what happened in the end with the um, with the letter on uh, financial aid to Israel? I know that that was a big issue last weekend in terms of. No, it's still going on, and Van Holland, as you know, with a few senators uh, and some announcements of support from, uh, let's say, left leaning uh, Jewish organizations uh, that just came out uh, overnight. Um, that, uh, but by and large, I think Congress will reject it. Most. The Republicans, to a person, uh, oppose it, and many Democrats, I think, will not support it. They did sign on to a letter critical of the annexation, and there are some who buy the argument that U.S. money should not be used to to facilitate the um, in any way the annexation. Uh, but there's no annexation, number one, and number two, the the um, so it's really perspective. And I don't think that it would pass uh, Congress. But a representative, and I'm being serious now, a representative that would fear the squad and worry about what the media would say about them, I, I would think this is the this is the time they'd be most nervous about signing, uh, about uh, about not signing about not signing a letter like that. That that is true, and that is one of the concerns we have about shifting political correctness in America. And although, again, it. It's a minority, and it's um, and it, and most of them are the usual suspects yeah. uh, of people who who engage in uh, in that. Finally, I mean, look, I, you know the the makeup of this audience and the, gen- the general political outlook, both and and the audience obviously does include Republicans and Democrats. I'm sure plenty of people who voted for Trump and plenty of people who didn't. Uh, but you basically get the uh, the, the mentality that people uh, tuned in. It, it, it has got to trouble you. When you've now seen who's advising uh, the the um, Democratic candidate for president on the Democratic platform and on his positions, it, it has to bother you that he is being influenced by uh, by people who are really uh, I, I, w- I won't go ahead and say anti-American, but certainly anti-Israel. Well, first of all, he has a lot of people 
who are around him, and uh, many of them have been traditionally very strong friends of Israel. There are others there with whom we've had problems in the past. I think that um, you know these, these things tend to shuffle out, but uh, Biden himself came out against um, cutting aid to Israel uh, as a punishment for annexation, even though he's come out against annexation itself. Um, I think that we will we'll see a lot more, and you know, a lot of it's speculative about who are the people. We'll see who the vice president will be. We'll see who are. I mean, there was one person, and I did look into it of somebody who's supposedly very anti-Israel or has a history of anti-Israel positions, and it turned out in, in reality not to be the fact that that person had the position of influence that uh, was reported. Uh, so, you know, again, we're in a very uh, hot political season. This is going to become more and more divisive. People shouldn't just jump at things. They have to look and, and be thoughtful about uh, their reaction and evaluate. But I'm talking about on a congressional level and senatorial level and uh, all the elections. But the most important thing is that they get out, register, uh, and vote. And we see continuously the the importance of all of this and the um, and, and you know with the rise of anti-Semitism and the increasing manifestations and that sports figures and others yep. can make hostile comments even if they apologize yep. but they're not subject to the same kind of sanctions from the general public that uh, that others are or the and, league or the league or or the league or the team or the, yeah. or others and then others come out and support them team uh, owned and by uh, Jews, anybody yeah. who's seen what a Farrakhan should be should be subject to sanctions and um, but but it's not just about Jews. I just saw that the uh, report that the anti-Christian attacks reached an all-time high sure. in Europe yeah. in 2019. Yep. In Europe, more than half the attacks in France were against Christian targets, and you don't hear any outcry, any manifestations uh, about it. What that Turkey wants to turn the Hagia Sophia which was built by the, in the Byzantine period in, I think, the 500s, uh, and then converted to a mosque when uh, the Ottomans came in, and then Ataturk in 1935 made it a museum and has been such a big tourist attraction. Now Erdogan wants to make it back into a mosque, and, he, and it's part of this Islamization where he's introducing mandatory religious education of, of, of a Muslim Brotherhood doctrine, um, many other steps that, that he has taken, uh, he's also much more aggressive in in the, in the international sphere. Yet you hear almost nothing. He has set up posts inside Iraq in many locations, much the objections of the uh, of the Iraqi regime, and and yet we see almost no no recognition about it. So you know there are so many issues that people have to be on top of and be aware of. There are conflicts in, in Libya, in Yemen, that are ongoing and with all with international ramifications, whether it's Russia against Turkey and Russia with Turkey, Russia against Iran, Iran versus Turkey. In every country, you can't even figure out the sides because they're shifting whatever uh, their interests. But the good news, Israel launched a very important new missile, the OFEC, which um, has really amazing uh, spy potential and uh, uh, abilities, which will be able to enable them to keep track, especially of Iran, in, in much greater detail, but also cover the region. Um, and at this comes at a time when the U.S. is dropping uh, its um, satellite and imaging cap, which worries Israel and and others. Uh, but the, the the issues that we, we we have to address, that we have to be focused on, are so vast. 
and all of them will have long-term implications, and many of them are advancing under the cover of COVID. They use it, just as they blame Jews for it, and they use it as a way of arousing anti-Semitism. Many of them are using it as cover because all the attention is focused on other things. But see the anti-Semitic demonstrations and openly manifested in Paris and in the United States, on campus, in Canada yesterday, high school students yelling, Jews are our dogs at a, you know, anti-annexation um, uh, rally. And you don't have the consequences that, uh, you know, apply when, when they talk about others. And there has to be an overall evaluation and assessment of this. The future of the Jewish people is in the state of Israel. Mr. Holmline, thank you. More so and more people realize it. Oh, that's for sure. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a wonderful Shabbos. You too. Be well. We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays. 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.